Hello, my name is Leszek Jaszczewski. Welcome to the Liberal Europe podcast, a European Liberal Forum project. I hope you'll enjoy our program. I have a very special guest today, Olga Dvoll, professor of modern Central European history at Université Paris 1. Uh, welcome, Paul. Thank you for accepting our invitation. Thank you for inviting me. Paul, um, there is a first round of French presidential election, and just um, we, we just had results uh, last Sunday, and it showed that there is a majority uh, of French against the traditional mainstream politics. Votes for Le Pen, Mélenchon, and Zemmour combined were uh, around 52%. It's 18 million votes. Does Le Pen, what does Le Pen need to secure a majority in the second round? Is it, is it possible she wins and, and how she can win, in your opinion? She can win very easily. Uh, she just needs 30% of the votes plus one. Uh, so she can win if she is able to mobilize new people. She can win if some people would it go and vote for other candidates or vote mm. for her. Or people who voted for Macron decided not to get mobilized. And one of the question is, the biggest group of people who could make the difference are the people who voted for uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon. And uh, in this group, there are very numerous people who uh, don't intend to vote in 10 days simply because for the last five years, they spent uh, most of their days and discussions uh, criticizing Macron. So it's quite hard for them to uh, acknowledge the fact that they would be better with five or more years of Macron. And as they don't have a very clear view of what it means to be under an authoritarian regime, they can dream about a democratic Marine Le Pen, and uh, dreams are sometimes apparently affordable. So that's a major question. Part of the people who voted for Jean-Luc Mélenchon anyway are already ready to vote directly for Marine Le Pen, and not only to abstain from going to vote. No, they are really, today at least, quite decided to vote for Marine Le Pen. It's hard to know how many of them, but uh, being in mind that in many interviews you have such cases, it means that you have a group which will simply switch from the far left to the far right. Then there are other considerations. People who didn't vote last Sunday could show up, and they could show up for Macron for various reasons, and not only for Madame Le Pen. So today, as far as we know, according to opinion polls, Macron could win. But the experience we have is that if we believe in the results of what people say that did last Sunday, a huge number of them decided at the last minute, or let's say during the last hours before going to vote, 
So it means that until the last minute, it will be very hard to figure out what the outcome is. Maybe the only prediction I could dare do today would be to say that the debate, which is going to take place between Macron and uh, Madame Le Pen uh, next Wednesday, will be a major source for people who are undecided to see what they do, if they vote, if they don't vote, and if they vote, who they're going to vote for. Right. Uh, Macron won decisively the previous debate five years ago, but perhaps Le Pen is now prepared uh, better to, to face him. From the outside, it seems strange that the war in Ukraine, which seemed that should actually uh, diminish prospects of Marine Le Pen to win, uh, it seems it rather boosted her chances for the presidency. Did it play any role, the Russian invasion and the fact that Le Pen was close to Putin, or it, it didn't play much in the in the elections in the in the first round? It plays both ways and not always directly. In the case of Macron, it plays in favor of the president because he is today on the front line and apparently manages to stay there and to be able to have a role in Europe. And there is a kind of feeling of security attached to the fact that we know, the French people know that he was able until now to um, cope with the situation. And that was, for example, a reason why Mr. Sarkozy officially asked to vote for Mr. Macron. And it was that the guy is able to face Mr. Putin. So that is a pro argument as far as Mr. Macron is concerned. In the case of Marine Le Pen, of course, it goes the other way around. But in fact, when she speaks about the price of gas and gasoline, she speaks about the fact that she is ready to discuss with Putin, give up on Ukraine, and sort of secure the price of energy in France. So officially, no mention of what happens in Ukraine, but in practice, the message is there. So I'm not so sure the war in Ukraine and the proximity of Marine Le Pen with Mr. Putin uh, is so much of a problem, at least until now. Now, of course, what we see in the last two days is that Mr. Macron is strongly emphasizing the European plus he has, as far as he is concerned, that the way he sees it. And as Marine Le Pen is, as always, very critical about Europe and saying Europe is the problem amidst this war, amidst the common European effort, 
uh, it's quite clear that Ukraine and Russia are very present in this campaign. Hard to say how it will influence the results. The potential victory of Madame Le Pen would be perhaps the biggest blow for the European project from its inception. Do you think she can be contained like Trump in the US? What it would mean for France and for EU if she is elected? Would be a catastrophe, uh, very simply, because she would run to Mr. Orban and basically destroy the idea of rule of law. She would run to Mr. Morawiecki and Kaczynski and tell them that it's the end of their fear and they are going to destroy together the European Union. And as France is the second country, as far as economics are concerned, and Paul is the sixth, it really means a lot of problem. Also because the president in France is very much responsible for foreign policy. And she is going to consider that European policies are foreign policy. So that's a major blow. Second, rule Miss Madame Le Pen needs to have a clear-cut majority in the parliament. And it's not so sure she can reach it. Because one thing is to win the presidential election, and one thing is for such a party to be able to face what could happen if the majority of the population, once Madame Le Pen is elected, finally sees a bit more what she is ready to do. Because, of course, hidden, um, hidden agendas do exist. And uh, the experience with Mr. Trump or with Pitt is that before the elections, these people never tell what they will really do, but in very general terms. And then when it gets conc very concretely uh, down to what hurts people, it's something else. And in France, there is no church to help Madame Le Pen. There are no such institutions as, as Father Rydzik and Radio Maria. So even if there are a couple of private supports for Madame Le Pen, uh, the majority of the big companies and even smaller companies are not favorable at all to the upheaval they see as the result of a possible victory of Madame Le Pen. So I wouldn't say the type of resistance Mr. Trump had to face with institutions would exist in France. It would be another type of resistance, but I suppose there would be a resistance. Well, it's it's the discussing this as a possibility is, is really frightening, uh, especially that France is the, the birthplace of enlightenment and the idea of human rights. And also it's, it's quite striking that until recently the um, perception of authoritarian Russia in, um, in such a country has been so positive. And I'm wondering, switching for a moment our focus to the East, do you think that the, the war will change this, um, this perception of Russia in France? 
permanently or at least for longer term? And do you think that it might direct uh, some of the French attention towards other countries in the Central and Eastern Europe? The campaign is already shifting some attention towards Hungary and Poland. And the impact on the image of Russia is, of course, very negative. Hopefully so. We'll have to see what's going to happen in the next weeks. Because, as you know, Butcha and other similar situations have had great impact. And uh, Putin is in a new situation. He cannot speak about the victory if it's the same type of victories he had in 2014, which means fake republics of the next and Luhansk are today not feasible results of a Russian victory. He would need not only to win on the military side, but also to be able to show something looking like Crimea. And Crimea is a situation which costs a lot to Russia. And Crimea is not so overwhelmingly a fine place today to live in. The situation in the two so-called independent republics for the last couple of years was absolutely terrible and no one wanted to live there. So I have quite a lot of doubts, not only about the military capacity of Russians, but the political capacity they have in a country which today is basically in a worse political, worse political state than Poland after December 13th, 1981. The rule applied today to the Russian population are worse than the ones which were applied in Poland at the end of December 81. So you, you, you can imagine the mood in the country where everyone can be told to be a spy or an enemy of the country by his own son or daughter at school. And if reported that such, the police goes to your home. I mean, in Poland in late 81 or 82, no one dared promoting such practices. So I have the feeling that Russia is by now going to be very much an outlaw, even for the French right, and even in the eyes of Madame Le Pen, it will be quite hard to play a Putin card for the next weeks, months, or maybe years. That is the assessment I could do today. Of course, we need to see what will happen on the ground, on the battlefield. Right. You, you, you said how, how you see the future of European and Russian relations. How, how do you see the, the role that Ukraine, if 
providing it can secure its sovereignty even if lacking some of the territory could play in the European efforts. Do you see that in the European Union or what might what are the alternatives and uh, providing that how Ukraine made a kind of clear pro-European choice and also it seems that Ukraine became very important even in the countries that previously mostly ignored Ukraine. How do you see the, this, this changing role and what, what is the future ahead of, of, of Ukrainian nation? Um, this is a, a major change um, that no one expected. Whatever happens today, unless the country is totally crushed, Ukraine will be, if not a part of the European Union anyway, a very important partner. Ukraine is the country where people died twice to be part of the European project in 2014 and today. And the big difference is that today people see it on their TV every evening. So um, it will be quite impossible to forget about Ukraine and it will be very hard not to think about European solidarity in totally new terms concerning not only Ukraine, but all the countries which were at a point or another targets of Putin's or his crony uh, discourses. So th this means Finland, Sweden, the Baltic states, Poland, of course, Ukraine, the Czech Republic, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania, Moldavia. Bulgaria, not so much, it didn't play a role, but even though they are in it. So it means that a lot of perceptions are changing. If very recently, that is yesterday, it was possible to halt the uh, change of legislation in Bosnia-Herzegovina, that is, the ones made by the Republika Srpska, it is because of what happens in Ukraine. Before that, the Hungarian commissioner and Mr. Orban strongly pressured the EU in order to let Mr. Dodic and Republika Srpska get almost on the verge of war with Sarajevo. So uh, what we see today is a quite deep change of the perceptions. And we are getting to a point where things that would have been totally unthinkable three months ago are now possible. Consider the way Sweden and Finland want to get into NATO. Consider the fact that it's a question in Germany to look at other energies than the resources provided by Russia. Poor Madame Merkel, she is now totally outdated. A couple of months ago, she was a glory of the EU. 
And she is deeply responsible for letting Mr. Orban do what he did. So I think that the impact will be not only that the status of Ukraine is changing radically, but also that the perspective of what the EU is and the binds that connect the various members of the EU are all this is changing. Uh, one of the problems uh, I see is that uh, at least some of the Eastern EU countries are rather a problem than a solution, at least until recently. I mean, especially countries that you know very well, Hungary and Poland. Do you think that EU countries and institutions, how, how do you think that EU countries and institutions should approach rule of law and other anti-liberal developments in Hungary and Poland uh, at the time of war? Do, do, do you think that they should persist or do you think that it is necessary, at least in the case of Poland, to go with different approach? And personally, I see it as a very much a problem that Poles will be treated as a second-rate Europeans who don't have a right for the full rule of law, but maybe there's a pragmatism in the Commission that would will. How, how, how do you see this? I think that I'm not a politician, so I'm not being a counsel here. I can only provide for some elements of analysis. Your consideration, which is basically that to accept breaches of the rule of law is de facto saying to the rest of Europe that Hungary and Poland are not fully European, but because of Russia, we have to allow them to be out of the rule of law. This is a very negative message and a message of despise for the people of this these countries. And contrary to what the governments say, uh, my take on that is that to allow these countries not to respect the common rules is de facto to weaken them and to tell their citizens that after all, they're not fully European. So I would say that it wouldn't be a good idea by no means to help authoritarian developments in these countries. And all the more so because we can see that authoritarian developments weaken these countries on the long term. And in the case of Hungary, it's thanks to these developments that the population is still totally manipulated by uh, Russian propaganda or the urban way of getting through into Hungary. Nevertheless, it means that European solidarity is at stake on both levels. The relationship to Russia and to what it says and to Ukraine and the respect for democratic rules. I don't see the European Union getting stronger by self-destruction. There can be some considerations on the 
calendars, and so on. But one thing is clear. As far as Hungary is concerned, things have to be done fast and strong. Because what happened during these elections is simply a pure scandal. We do know that votes were paid for. We do know that the inequality of access to information was incredible. And it means that it's not possible to speak about fair elections. Simply, this cannot be allowed inside the European Union, according to me at least. I, I must say that sadly, I, I agree with you that the question is how EU can deal with the with such problems inside, uh, because it seems that sometimes it's easier to deal with countries who are asking for the accession, but um, EU wasn't, I think, fully prepared for dealing, especially with more than one country at the time, um, with illiberal anti-democratic tendencies. Paul, the, the very last question, coming back to, to France and thinking about Europe's future, providing that uh, Emmanuel Macron uh, wins uh, on Sunday, how do you see his idea of strategic sovereignty of Europe uh, developing after the end uh, of the war? And uh, what, what, is, what will be the French idea of Europe's future and how probable you think it is that it will be realized? So it's not next Sunday, but it's but in 10 um, days. Yeah, Sunday after, yes, yes, you're right. Yeah, of course, in, in 10 days. Yeah. Just just for the people who listen to, not to wait for results next Sunday. And, <laughs> uh, but besides that, I'm not sure that Macron's vision of uh, the strategic strength thing of the EU is totally clear. It will be clear once Germany will have made certain choices. And apparently it's quite difficult to make these choices in Germany. At the same time, part of Macron's politics will depend on the way he would be in such case voted in next, the next turn that is in 10 days, and it would depend on the way the elections for the French parliament, which will be in June, will deliver a majority and what type of majority in that case for Macron. Because until now, he had a majority just with his own party. But the results of the elections now do show that the changes for such the majority are not totally clear. So one could suppose that he will have to combine his views, whatever they are, with the views of other political forces. Even if, if as a president, he can handle quite alone foreign policies, in such case, European politics are not only about foreign policy, it's also internal politics. So the stakes are very high in the next months, not only in the next weeks. And the conception of such a strategic strengthening 
of Europe will depend on what happens in Ukraine because what happened in Ukraine will mean new responsibilities for the EU as a security factor. I don't say a military factor, even if it is a military factor, but on a whole, as a security factor. For example, no one is, has spoken till now about the reshuffling of European industries around defense. So what type of corporations are we going to foster on the grounds of our experience now? How are we going to include new countries in such a cooperation? How are we going to enhance the EU capacities as far as military forces are concerned? How is the EU going to cooperate with NATO? That's also not so clear. As far as France is concerned, are we going to develop in France a new concept in order to use to use nuclear weapons in some new way? All these are questions, very interesting questions. And on top of this, the migration agenda, the relationship with Turkey is by now seemingly changing. So all of these elements needs to be need to be thought again in the next weeks and months. Well, this these were extremely important points you made, and one can only hope that providing that front uh, Republican will emerge again and and provide uh, Emmanuel Macron with uh, with another victory that those issues will be raised because they seem much more practical than talking about well real common uh, foreign uh, and uh, defense policy we might start somewhere where we can see that there are synergies and strengths of uh, eu countries already Paul, i would like to thank you very much for your very insightful contribution and clear uh, Paul Graswell, Professor of Modern Central European History at Université Paris-Pantos-Robon was our guest. Thank you, Paul, very much for being on the Liberal Europe podcast. Thank you, Lesha. Uh, thank you, our listeners. Yes, yes Paul? No, I, I, I just wanted to say that uh, I don't pretend to deliver solutions. I think that our role as social scientists is at least to provide with some questions well i mean a good question at least can can make people think and this is what we need right now i think this is extremely interesting time especially for intellectuals because so many things are happening and ideas can actually shape the the the, the future of the continent you can find this podcast on spotify apple Podcasts, and stitcher and if you like what we are doing and want to help spreading the liberal values, please give us a five-star review and share with your friends. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please share and give us a five-star review. You will hear from me soon. Until then, please listen to Liberal Europe podcast next week with Ricardo Silvestro.